Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Dr. Robin Short. She's the founder and CEO of Workplace Peace Institute, an organization development, consulting, and leadership training and research firm that brings peace and dignity to the workplace. She also works as a peace-building trainer, mediator, racial equity consultant, and restorative justice facilitator. Dr. Short is also the founder and publisher of Good Media Press, founder and board chair of the Peace and and Conciliation Project, and an adjunct professor at both Southern Methodist University and Bay Path University, and has authored four books on peace building. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to hear more about what you do. Um, I love the name, first of all, Workplace Peace Institute. Tell me a little bit about, you know, a little bit more about what that organization does and and how you came up with it and how your journey uh, led you to start this company. Sure. Thank you so much. I'm so happy uh, to be here with you both today. So Workplace Peace Institute uh, really started out of, I was working in, well, I began my career working in marketing communications. And the longer I was in my career, the more I moved into leadership positions, the more I became intrigued with Um, why it's so difficult for people to actually do the work they've come together to do. So I found myself getting more and more interested in um, the the dynamics of human behavior and kind of less interested actually in marketing itself. And so I went back to school, got a second master's in conflict management dispute resolution and um, decided to do a big career change. So about 10 years ago, I left marketing and started working as a workplace mediator, really specifically interested in helping people work through workplace conflict. So not really litigated um, mediation, litigated conflicts, but just the dynamics of two people on a team whose conflicts have gotten so big that that it's rippled into other areas of the organization. And what I found over and over and over again is that the conflict that was happening, that was manifesting in these two people was really um, a manifestation of something dysfunctional in the organization's system itself. And it could come through the people and that's how we could see it. So I would help these two people or this team work through their conflict, but I wasn't able to get at the source of what was causing the conflict. So I went back to school, got my PhD in organization development and systems design and opened Workplace Peace Institute up in 2022 with the with the purpose of creating workplace cultures where people can thrive. And what that really means for me, where the, the term workplace peace came from, is that the, defini- of, of the defi- definition of peace that I operate with is that peace is human security and the ability to live a life of dignity that's free of fear. So what that means is that I experience my basic human needs 
I experience my inherent worth and value in the workplace. And I trust that that's going to consistently be the case, that that's not going to be taken from me. So we do that through culture development work, um, leadership development and training, conflict resolution. But I um, I have always been a very purpose-driven person and someone who finds purpose in my work. And um, when I have been in workplaces outside of organizations that I've owned, I have been in awe of how difficult it is for people to get along. And I think that really has to do with just a lack of skill set and um, and a lot of other reasons. But I've always been really passionate about helping people um, navigate the workplace that they can do the thing that they're really passionate about. And go so home it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that that you became a negotiator, a workplace negotiator. I always say a good leader is a counselor, a therapist, and a negotiator. And we don't mm-hmm. have enough of that in leadership uh, in general. Uh, when you decided to take that path and you went back to school, um, was that easy for you, or was that something like completely different? Where you're like, I'm just going to go back to school and get another degree. Like, how, how did you approach that? I have always been uh, a learner. I have I have been a, a you know a bookworm my whole life. I have always been on a path of ongoing education, and so it was exciting for me. And I, I graduated from undergrad, went immediately and got a master's, and then had about twelve years between that and uh, and going back for my second master's. And um, it, the conflict resolution degree really attracts people who have been in their career for a while. So I felt like I was with my peers, um, which I think it actually would have felt a little bit more. Um, I might have had some like insecurities about sitting in a room with a bunch of people straight out of undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually felt like I was with my peers. So it was, it was really exciting. And um, I, at the time, I owned a marketing communications um, agency, a very small one. But it, that gave me a lot of freedom to be able to manage my time to, to really focus on the schoolwork. That's great. So you found your intellectual peers. So it didn't matter yeah. that, that you may have been a different uh, age demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, so when you think about um, the work that you do, it, it is specifically around relationships, right? And human nature, whether you're in the workplace or, you know, home or family life, um, that is always so difficult, right? People have such a hard time with, with relationships. Um, where do you, where do you see like the biggest area where people can improve their relationships? What should they focus on? Mm. So I love that question. All of my work um, is really grounded in the concept of basic human needs. And the model of basic human needs that I follow is um, uh, from a scholar by the name of um, John Burton. And his his perception of basic human needs is that they're not hierarchical, but that we are perpetually seeking all of our basic human needs. So we need justice, love, self-esteem. Um, participation, self-fulfillment, belonging, inclusion, acceptance of our identity. We need all of those things. They don't build on each other. <clears throat> and where I, what I find really, truly fascinating about the human experience is that we have an inherent awareness. Like we, 
physiologically respond to having a basic human need violation or to having a dignity violation, but we don't have the language to name what happened. And because we don't have the language to name what happened, we don't have the ability to actually be proactive in honoring basic human needs and dignity needs for others. So we're just walking around in this like constant state of vulnerability to having these things violated without having much awareness about how to actually be in good relationship with one another or to name what happened when when I find myself wanting to, you know, fight, fight, freeze, or, you know, flee. So what I, what I talk a lot about, and this goes back to what you said, that every leader needs to be a therapist, a negotiator, and one other counselor, a counselor, (laughs) counselor. Um, It's that we need that leaders need to have high proficiency in the dynamics of human behavior. And that's what I really see the primary role of the leader is not to be the primary subject matter expert, not to be the person who knows how to delegate the best, but actually the person who knows how to mobilize people together to collaborate and to um, work together toward a shared purpose. And that's someone who is um, proficient in the dynamics of human behavior. You know, it's interesting. Um, it, it so falls in line. I always say I became a much better leader when I had kids because, and it's everything you're talking about. You're being very observant of your kids and their behaviors and and what their needs are and how they interact with each other. And that's when when you can see that, when you have that full awareness of your teams and how they operate, um, you can nurture them and help them to grow. And to that point, you know, if you have, you know, let's say you have three kids, they all need shelter, they all need food. But beyond that, you're going to motivate each of them really differently. And, um, and we have to bring that same awareness to our teams, there's some core foundational needs that they all share. But if I'm going to build a really strong team, then I as the leader have to be the person who's agile to the individual needs of the person on that team. And we have really been conditioned in all of our like organizational structures, you know, from school to, uh, you know, every sort of institute that we've been in, that that we have to be agile to the leader's needs. And, um, and it doesn't really produce quality relationship or, or strong, strong teams. The, the, the leader is the person who is, I think, in responsibility to their teammates. So how do you make sure when you start, when you start, um, being aware, because everything I teach is about self-awareness, right? So if you're teaching a leader to be aware of your of their teams based on their human basic human needs and the individual needs and 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 an awareness of everything that mm-hmm. th- that they're looking for, how do you make sure you don't cross that line that's you know that HR line, right? Because it becomes very personal at that point. So how do you make sure that you keep that? in a very professional manner in the workplace, and you're you're um, helping someone with their pers- very personalized human needs without crossing boundaries? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I do think that there is room for us to be more human humans in the workplace, right? To, to So this idea of um, professional behavior I I believe we need to just be real humans with one another. 
Now, that doesn't mean I carry responsibility for all aspects of your life, right? So I need to be in real, authentic human relationship with you as it relates to the role that I have with you. And and so kind of knowing how to stay in my lane to some degree. And so I'm thinking about um, a story that someone told me about uh, an employee had had a car wreck and the leader um, uh, wanted the organization to pay for this person's Uber rides back and forth. And, um, and it was like, well, did the person have the wreck doing company business? It was like, you kind of like, she ran through all of these and it was like, no, we just want to be able to help her. Okay. That's way out of your lane. Right? <laughs> like that's way out of your lane. But the fact that you care demonstrates that you are in real human relationship, but it's being able to, I think, have those boundaries of what you hold responsibility for. Um, but also like I tell my, um, my colleagues and my clients that I love them. I do love them. And I know that being loved is a basic human need. And, um, but we have definitely been conditioned to say that that's not professional. Um, but if it's true, and what I also know is all the good things are born from love. <laughs> and if I feel love in the workplace, I'm going to have a lot of like emotional freedom to really be myself and to really contribute and to really apply critical thinking because with that love comes psychological safety. So I do think we've created too rigid of boundaries about what relationship looks like in the workplace. And we need to be in relationship as it relates to our responsibility to that person. You know, that's Marisa, great. I was I was thinking about that. That's the the biggest issue that's going on is people aren't enjoying their their jobs because they don't understand how to build relationships anymore because of COVID and how things have changed, and also in relationships with our boss. How do we treat our boss? How do we treat people that are our managers or hire? And how do how do the management and and the uh, other people treat us. And it's just, it's a process. So I think that's where you see is that we don't understand work relationships in a way that can really make it so that we can thrive as a company. And I see that seems like a big goal of yours. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I do absolutely agree with you. And I think that generationally speaking, um, our expectations of our workplace relationships have shifted and evolved a great deal. You know, back in my grandfather's days, so he's, you know, if he were still alive, he'd probably be 100 years old. He worked at Johnson & Johnson. And um, the relationship to the employer was very patriarchal. And um, that has tremendously shifted. And, um, but with each generation, the expectations of the relationship has really evolved and changed. And I think Gen Z and young millennials want to be in very real, authentic relationship with their, with their colleagues, as well as with leadership and with every level of, of leadership. So this younger generation doesn't see the C-suite as hands off. I get, they see them as people I should be in relationship with. And I've even seen conflict where um, a young, a young employee 
emailing the CEO of an organization directly and saying, help me understand this decision that you made. And um, that was a perfectly normal thing for that young employee to do. And the CEO was very put off. Like, I don't owe you an explanation. And um, and I see that really as two, as two really different perspectives around what workplace relationship looks like. But younger generations don't see the C-suite as ivory tower. They just see them as people who've been working longer <laughs> and, yeah. and, and they expect accessibility. It's interesting you say that because I work in tech and I've worked with a lot of startups. Um, you're absolutely right because they they have they have almost no levels. Even though everyone has a title, they're all they all look at each other as equal. And mm-hmm. and the expectation that they they are demanding an answer, you know, and I, that's not a too strong of a word, but that's just that's the expectation is that they're, they're owed an answer when they ask a question and, mm-hmm. and everyone is on the same playing field. And that's so common these days, especially mm-hmm. in, the, in the tech field. Mm-hmm. People expect young generation, you know, Gen Z and, and, and you know, I think like mid, mid, mid-level millennials and younger um, just expect radical transparency. And it's, um, and, and, I, and I think what you just said, they demand an answer. There is just this absolute expectation of transparency. And I think part of that is because they're not just going to like the days of I'll just blindly follow orders are kind of over. (laughs) And so they need to know why a decision was made in order for them to get on board. And so to your point about negotiation, leaders are now realizing I got to negotiate with people to get them to act on the things I'm delegating because they have to know why in order to do it. And if you are, you know, Gen X or, um, or or from a boomer generation, it feels like insubordination. Like I said, do it, do it. <laughs> but it's just expect. It's a differing expectation about um, about how how we work together. And I think it really comes from younger generations. So Gen Z and millennials were raised by the most educated parent. And parents who both were usually in the workplace, and so the way they were making decisions with their children was far more collaborative. My parents did not negotiate and collaborate with me. I mean, everything was do it because I said so. And, um, and that doesn't work anymore. (laughs) It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And they took it to the workplace and now they walk out if they're not satisfied. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, so how do you, so, so a lot of the work that you do um, is, is, it's very analytical, I would say, because you have to like put all the pieces together, right? And and so it probably takes a lot of your energy and effort when you're working with with clients. Um, how do you make sure that it, it you know you don't carry that with you on in your personal time? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So I um I I love that question. So there's a couple of answers. One is daily practice. So I have a daily meditation practice. And when I get really busy and I miss a meditation for a week or two, I feel it. So I think about meditation uh, kind of like um, 
to be ready to be ready in an emergency, you need to be practicing daily, right? So if you think about you're at the airport and uh, your gate your gate changes and you're about to miss your flight, you got to grab your stuff and run. Well, if you run every day, you're going to make it to that gate. <laughs> if you don't run every day, you might as well just give up. And meditation is like that. If I have a daily meditation practice, the in the moment emergency, my nervous system is prepared for it. So part of it is that. But the other piece is um, having a lot of clarity and commitment to my own personal values and my mission and role in that conflict intervention. So I have a very short, like, as I, you know, before I get out of the car or before I walk into the room, um, ritual where I intentionally move my own ego out of the way. I align myself with my commitment to being a conduit for peace and my commitment to holding process and um, set the intention that the highest good for everyone will come from this. And, um, and then, and then I need to also like, as I'm leaving it, remind myself that my responsibility was process and that everyone else's responsibility is coming to agreement or not. And, um, and usually that's very effective, but I have worked with people who are in so much psychological and emotional pain that, that it, it stays in me for a little while. Yeah, it's it's difficult because you get you have that human relationship and you're mm-hmm. connected, so it's harder to let mm-hmm. go. Um, mm-hmm. All great advice. There's so much I would love to talk to you about, but we are out of time, Robin. Um, where can people find you? So our website is workplacepeaceinstitute.com. And then you can you. follow us on socials from there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and for having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.